This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, September 16th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, flu season approaches, Jeff Proto says goodbye, a sports update with Vinton Cole, and a mountain weather forecast. Dr. Deanna Colliker says get your flu shot. The flu is what makes me worried for this coming um, winter that we're going to have even more of an impact on our hospital capacity if we actually have um, a flu season this year. Colliker is the medical director of emergency and trauma services at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and Telluride EMS director. She spoke on KOTO on Thursday. Last year, she says, thanks to masking, distancing, and other COVID measures, we didn't have a flu season. But this year, we're back to school. We're not wearing masks nearly as much as we were last year. It is, you know, it is a different year, and we are not doing all of those things. Colliker says the flu shot is the best way to prevent going to the hospital because of the flu. And that's important because increased COVID transmission, she explains, has meant regional hospital capacity isn't looking good. It's not as bad as it was in January, and it is definitely not as bad as our southern states, you know, Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, where they have zero hospital beds, ICU beds in their whole state. Um, but it is not it is not a great situation here. Several times in the last month, she says, regional hospitals have been unable to take transfer patients. And that means calling around to other facilities and seeing where we can find a bed for a patient. Over 90 percent of hospitalized COVID patients, Colliker notes, are not vaccinated. And that's why th- this is still a pandemic of the unvaccinated, because it is the unvaccinated people who get COVID who end up requiring hospitalization or ICU beds, and then we don't have those beds available for people who have a heart attack or a stroke or, you know, any other kind of problem that ordinarily would be need those hospital beds. So she urges anyone who hasn't to get a vaccine. When it comes to booster shots, Colliker says studies have shown extra doses are, quote, exceedingly effective at increasing immunity. And this is especially marked in those who are immunocompromised, so people undergoing chemotherapy or organ transplant patients or patients on chronic immunosuppressants. And that is why the FDA has already approved a third shot for that group. Studies around boosters in the general population are ongoing, but Colliker says the Food and Drug Administration should be making decisions about those in the near future. San Miguel County has been offering booster shot clinics for immunocompromised people who received the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines since last month. In the meantime, Colliker says we are still not out of the woods. People have to expect that they are going to have to continue to be vigilant and um, and careful and cautious um, over the coming months. Her advice for how to do that hasn't changed much. Get vaccinated and follow the five commitments. San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin says flu shot clinics will likely start next month. 
Jeff Proto has been on mountains for most of his life. I was one of these guys that worked really hard in the summer and then skied really hard in the winter. Still, he never imagined he'd end up a top leader at a ski resort. But as vice president of mountain operations and planning at the Telluride Ski and Golf Resort, that's exactly what he is. I can't tell you how many times I've ridden a chairlift and I've got, you know, nice boots, nice skis, good uniform, good clothes, good hat, good helmet, all that stuff. And, and I remember being in Durango when I was flat broke and trying to ski at Purgatory with, you know, kind of a makeshift bunch of stuff that I put together. And I just, I felt so lucky to be here and be able to do that. Now, after almost three and a half decades with Telski, Proto is retiring at the end of the month. He says he's been thinking about stepping down for the last three years. Last season, he felt he had to stay on to help get through the complexities of COVID. It was kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation, and it wouldn't have been a good time for me to, to, to move on. This year, as we've gone through the summer, I've kind of been working through, you know, how, what transition would look like and everything, and I figured, you know, if I was going to do it, I need to do it before we get too deep into winter, so I figure ending in September would be a good time to do it. When he thinks about his proudest accomplishments on the mountain, Proto actually points to one of his first projects with the resort, helping restore about 50 acres of wetlands in response to a legal dispute. A lot of people don't even know that, like down in the meadows as an example, that whole Prospect Creek area used to be a parking lot and a, and a pond, and now it's a completely restored creek system with wetlands and, you know, all the things that go along with it. So... You know, not many people really get to kind of work on projects like that. It was really special. He is also proud of the expansion into Prospect Basin in the late 90s and early 2000s. And what's really interesting is how, like, our ski patrol was part of that, you know, how they were kind of encouraging us to explore further into Prospect Basin. The Hike 2 terrain is an example, whether it's Black Iron Bowl or even Gold Hill. You know, Gold Hill was Hike 2 for a long time. You know, working with those people that have the passion of skiing and, you know, kind of the encouragement to continue to charge up the mountain, so to speak, and um, open some of that terrain, it's, it's been, uh, been real fun to be a part of that. Telski has not announced plans for finding Proto's replacement, but Proto says he's been working on transitioning his responsibilities to others and isn't worried about mountain operations once he's gone. As far as his departing advice for Telski employees for how to keep the area special? It's simple. You know, I think we need to continue to let the passion drive us. I mean, let's face it, people that are in Telluride, the real pioneers here that, that have, you know, carved out, you know, kind of Telluride and what it is today, they had passion, you know, and they had passion to be here. And they've let that passion drive them. And, and the, the special people that we have working here, and we have a lot of them, allow that to happen. And um, I think that we need to continue to have that, and we'll be successful if that's the case. In his retirement, Proto says he's looking forward to spending more time with his family and in the outdoors, and he plans on skiing more. But without a uniform, name tag, or radio, he says you might not recognize him. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Sports are back in full swing, and this week on Sports Update with Fenton Cole, he's bringing the latest on volleyball and soccer. Have a listen. This is Fenton Cole on your Sports Update. I just checked with the Telhead High School volleyball team, and they shut out the Caprock Academy Eagles 3 to nothing. 
They faced the Bobcats and sadly lost 3-2, but won to the Crested Butte Titans 3-0. Boys varsity soccer crushed the Caprock Academy Eagles 10-0, but lost to the Coleridge Titans 5-4 and the Freedom Monument Wildcats 2-0. They must win against the Palisade Bulldogs and the Crested Butte Titans to keep going undefeated at home. Well, that was short, but that was your sports updates, and we'll see you next week. The gondola between Telluride and Mountain Village turns 25 this year. It's an iconic piece of the region, providing transit for tourists and locals alike. But in the coming years, the gondola faces a looming deadline. It's owned and operated by the town of Mountain Village and mainly funded by the Telluride Mountain Village Owners Association. At the end of 2027, though, the operating agreement that outlines those responsibilities expires. And basically says that the town no longer has to operate or uh, maintain the gondola system or provide best buses during the shutdown. Uh, TMBA no longer has to pay for operations and maintenance and uh, the ski uh, resort TSG no longer has to pay the 1% of lift ticket sales that go into funding the gondola. That's Anton Benitez, president and CEO of TMBOA, speaking at a Telluride Town Council meeting this week. For the last several years, representatives from the local governments have been meeting to plan for the gondola's life after 2027. An analysis from a few years ago found the gondola's useful life would last roughly through the end of the operating agreement. Miles Graham is a principal with a consulting firm working on the gondola planning. He says the gondola subcommittee agrees the system should continue past then. The gondola, he notes, is a central part of regional transit. When you look at the busiest transit corridors in the entire state of Colorado, you've got the 15 and the 15L that RTD operates in Denver on Colfax, and that moves about 20,000 people a day pre-COVID. It's less than that now. When you look at the daily ridership of a busy day on the gondola, it's 20,000, and that's been maintained. So it makes it one of the busiest transit systems in the state. Moving forward, Graham says the subcommittee plans to hear more from the community about their thoughts on the gondola. We want to learn more about passenger expectations, what people love about the gondola today, what they would improve about it, if they could make some updates in the future. There are still a lot of questions to answer, including whether and how to upgrade parts of the gondola and who's going to pay for it and operate it. Telluride Mayor Delaney Young anticipates the process for figuring it all out will be similar to the evolution of the San Miguel Authority for Regional Transportation a few years ago. With the three local jurisdictions being part of this leadership committee, and having a very large group of people vetting all of these things. Town Council didn't make any decisions at the Tuesday meeting. It was a strictly informational presentation, setting the stage for a lot of work still to come. The Richmond Pass Trailhead near Ure and the lower portion of Richmond Pass Trail will be temporarily closed beginning Friday, September 17th. The upper portion of the Richmond Pass Trail will still be accessible via alternative trailheads. The Grand Mesa, Uncompagre, and Gunnison National Forests issued the closure to allow for the removal of hazardous waste. 
According to the GMUG, the hazardous materials from a mine site abandoned over 100 years ago will be moved to an on-site repository that will be lined and capped, and all affected areas will be revegetated. An analysis from 2020 showed several metals on the site posed a potential risk, with lead the most prevalent at dangerous levels. The GMUG notes the closure will remain in place through the end of the year or until the closure order is rescinded. Colorado U.S. Senator Michael Bennett is seeking public comment on draft legislation to designate a national conservation area for a part of the Dolores River corridor that runs through San Miguel and Dolores counties. The draft legislation proposes a roughly 45,000-acre conservation area with the aim of conserving, protecting, and enhancing resources in it. All three San Miguel County commissioners sent a letter to Senator Bennett last year in support of developing a national conservation area. County Commissioner Hillary Cooper notes the legislation is the result of years of work between stakeholders. She says it represents a, quote, massive compromise between the conservation community and local users of the river. Cooper explains it will help protect a landscape that is threatened due to drought and climate change. It's local control. It's a bill that has been designed at the local level with people who live and work in this area alongside the conservation community, alongside the boating advocates. The deadline to submit comments on the draft legislation to designate a national conservation area in part of the Dolores River Corridor is Thursday, October 28th. Governor Jared Polis married First Gentleman Marlon Reese Wednesday at a small private ceremony in Boulder. The couple has been together for 18 years and have two children. In a statement, Polis says they're thankful for the health and well-being of their family. Polis proposed in December as he was taking Reese to the hospital to be treated for a worsening case of COVID-19. All wedding guests were required to test negative for the virus, according to a statement from the governor's office. The event also marked the first same-sex marriage of a sitting governor in the nation's history. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their minds is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenges and possible solutions are playing out across the region. Today, we're heading to Crested Butte. How do you solve America's affordable housing crisis? Most people want to build their way out of the problem. But there are other ways to make homes more affordable. One government effort may have benefits beyond just housing, if it can get off the ground. KBUT's Christopher Biddle has more. Sometimes it's called home rehabilitation, or an energy upgrade, or a retrofit. We're going to call it weatherization. Details vary, but the basic idea is to use government money to pay for energy upgrades to homes. It's money well spent, according to the Biden administration. The president's infrastructure plan calls for $213 billion for weatherization efforts. 
that could be of use in the town of Crested Butte, Colorado, where a pandemic-boosted economic crisis has housing at its center. By the end of the summer, this tourist town had an estimated 15% of jobs go unfilled, and local officials fear the fall and winter could be worse. It's a very tight rope for this community to function, and we're missing it. Troy Russ is the Crested Butte Community Development Director. He breaks the cost of living into three categories, transportation, basic essentials, and housing. And that would include the cost of energy towards housing. And at 8,000 feet or more, Crested Butte and its surrounding communities can get cold in the winter, very cold. What we're finding is the, the housing costs are simply dominating the budget, so there's no savings going on. There's very little insurance, and it's really it's skewing people's ability to live here. That's a familiar story to Josh Schumacher. I'm not very good at budgeting. <laughs> Josh provides vital work to the community. He used to be a chairlift mechanic at the local ski resort. Now... I fix rich people's toilets. <laughs> Josh moved here in the 90s and says that recently more and more of his peers are being priced out while he's figured out ways to stick around. That includes owning a deed-restricted home, and that made him eligible for the town's Green Deed Weatherization Program. Through Green Deed, Josh scored a new fridge and a fresh layer of insulation. As winter approaches, he's hoping the upgrades will provide some relief to an electric bill that's broken at $900 in the past. I mean, I'm kind of like a lot of people here. I, I live virtually paycheck to paycheck still. We have a serious income gap. We have a serious resiliency gap, and that's what I'm trying to help with. Giza Michael designed the Green Deed program and a similar countywide effort for income-qualified homes called Gunnison Valley Heat or GV Heat. Studies show that lower-income households usually put more of their money towards energy costs, which means they often get a better return on their upgrades. Last year, GV Heat saved an average of just over $460 per household. But savings are often seen as just a secondary benefit to weatherization. Crested Butte adopted its program originally as part of its climate action plan. And the Biden administration says targeted weatherization efforts will offset racial and economic divides and boost quality of life for the poorest Americans. With all those benefits, you'd think the idea would have taken off already. But according to the Brookings Institute, only 2% of the nearly 40 million eligible American homes are actually weatherized every year. Biden's plan will most likely provide some boost, and then people like Giza Michael will still have to figure out how to spend the money, but she's probably already got a plan in place. You can't only just throw funding at something, you also need to build capacity. Hard as it is to hire in any American industry right now, weatherization programs across the country have struggled for years. In another very cold place, veteran nonprofit Efficiency Vermont turned from contracting to hiring and training its own workforce. For projects in Gunnison and Crested Butte, where new construction dominates the attention of the workforce, Michael has to hire a team from the Alamosa Energy Resource Center some four hours away. So the old insulation, and this is the old insulation was this high. So that's how much. Josh Schumacher shows me around his upgrades. It's a Thursday, but he's all Friday vibes as he packs his truck for a camping trip. In the glow of the evening sun, it's obvious that Josh, fixer of rich people's toilets, enjoys a high quality of life. I've moved up the food chain as far as where I'm at financially. Now I'm finally at 
I don't want to say comfortable, but I'm finally paying my bills with something left over so I can actually enjoy life. For Josh, a government-sponsored weatherization program was just part of that puzzle and something that may soon be available to many more Americans trying to get by. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Christopher Biddle. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-40s and wind gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Friday, expect sunny skies with a high around 70 degrees. Friday night should be mostly clear with a low in the mid-40s. Saturday calls for mostly sunny skies with a high near 70 degrees and a 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around 50 degrees and a 20% chance of precipitation. This has been the news for Thursday, September 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. There will be no news on Friday, September 17th. KOTO will be broadcasting the Telluride Blues and Brews Festival from start to finish. Tune in on the radio or online. We will be back with more news on Monday. And now, a personal commentary. Hi, KOTO listeners. My name is Jenny Russell, and I am on Telluride's Ecology Commission, which is bringing you Telluride's annual Black Bear Awareness Week in cooperation with Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife, Wilkinson Public Library, Telluride's Farmer's Market, and the Wild Mountain Puppet Troupe. For today's commentary, I have two black bear tidbits. You live in bear country. Did you know Ursus americanus, the American black bear, is threatened by accidents, disease, motor vehicles, and starvation? Natural enemies include other bears and mountain lions. Humans are responsible for the deaths of most black bears by taking over their habitat, feeding them garbage, illegally hunting them, and destroying them when they harm people, livestock, or property. Did you know black bears are terrific tree climbers? Trim back all tree limbs within 10 feet of your upper story decks and windows. This helps protect against wildfires too. Bears have learned to climb trees that overhang roofs, jump onto the roof, and dangle over the edge to open a window. For more information on black bear biology and ways to live safely in black bear country, please contact the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife at their website. You can also visit the special black bear awareness booth at the Farmer's Market this Friday. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Kodo. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.